This is Tech Allowed. Tech articles and blog posts read aloud. This episode, recorded on Monday the 12th of October 2020, features a section from the paper The Unix Timesharing System, a Retrospective, written by Dennis M. Ritchie at Bell Labs, Murray Hill, New Jersey. A version of this paper was presented at the 10th Hawaii International Conference on the System Sciences in January 1977. The section is The User Interface, which gives us some great insights into the origins and design of the Unix and Linux command interpreter, also known as the shell. The user interface. The command interpreter, called the shell, is the most important communication channel between the system and its users. The shell is not part of the operating system and enjoys no special privileges. A part of the entry for each user in the password file read by the login procedure contains the name of the program that is, is to be run initially. And for most users, that program is the shell. This arrangement is by now commonplace in well-designed systems, but is by no means universal. Among its advantages are the ability to swap the shell, even though the kernel is not swappable so that the size of the shell is not of great concern. It is also easy to replace the shell with another program, either to test a new version or to provide a non-standard interface. The full language accepted by the shell is moderately complicated because it performs a number of functions. It is discussed in more detail elsewhere in this issue. Nevertheless, the treatment of individual commands is quite simple and regular. A command is a sequence of words separated by white space, spaces and tabs. The first word is the name of the command, where a command is any executable file. A full name with forward slash characters may be used to specify the file unambiguously. Otherwise, an agreed upon sequence of directories is searched. The only distinction enjoyed by a system provided command is that it appears in a directory in the search path of most users. A very few commands are built into the shell. The other words making up a command line fall into three types. Simple strings of characters, a file name preceded by less than sign, greater than sign, or double greater than sign, a string containing a file name expansion character. The simple arguments are passed to the command as an array of strings and thereafter are interpreted by that program. The fact that the arguments are parsed by the shell and passed as separate strings gives at least a start towards uniformity in the treatment of arguments. We have seen several systems in which arguments to various commands are separated sometimes by commas, sometimes by semicolons, and sometimes in parentheses. Only a manual close at hand or a good memory tells which. An argument beginning with a less than sign is taken to name a file 
that is to be opened by the shell and associated with the standard input of the command, namely the stream from which programs ordinarily read input. In the absence of such an argument, the standard input is attached to the terminal. Correspondingly, a file whose name is prefixed by a greater than sign receives the standard output of commands. Double greater than sign designates a variant in which the output is appended to the file instead of replacing it. For this mechanism to work, it is necessary that IO to a terminal be compatible with IO to a file. The point here is that the redirection is specified in the shell language in a convenient and natural notation so that it is applicable uniformly and without exception to all commands. An argument specifying redirection is not passed to the command, which must go to some trouble even to discover whether redirection has occurred. Other systems support IOD redirection, regrettably too few, but we know of none with such a convenient notation. An argument containing a file name expansion character is turned into a sequence of simple arguments that are the names of files. The character asterisk, for example, means any sequence of zero or more characters. The argument asterisk.c is expanded into a sequence of arguments that are the names of all files in the current directory whose names end with the characters .c. Other expansion characters specify an arbitrary single character in a file name or a range of characters, the digits, say. Putting this expansion mechanism into the shell has several advantages. The code only appears once, so no space is wasted, and commands in general need take no special action. The algorithm is certain to be applied uniformly. The only convention required of commands that process files is to accept a sequence of file arguments, even if the elementary action performed applies to only one file at a time. For example, the command that deletes a file could have been coded to accept only a single name, in which case argument expansion would be in vain. In fact, it accepts a sequence of file arguments, however generated, and deletes all of them. Only occasionally is there any difficulty. For example, suppose the command save transfers each of its argument files to offline storage. So, save asterisk would save everything in the current directory. This works well. But the converse command restore, which might bring back all the named arguments back online, will not in general work analogously. Restore asterisk would bring back only the files that already exist in the current directory, match the asterisk, rather than all saved files. One of the most important contributions of Unix to programming is the notion of pipes, and especially the notation the shell provides for using them. A pipe is, in effect, an open file connecting two processes. Information written into one end of the pipe may be read from the other end, with synchronization, scheduling, and buffering handled automatically by the system. 
a linear array of processes, a pipeline, thus becomes a set of coroutines simultaneously processing an I.O. stream. The shell notation for a pipeline separates the names of the various programs by a vertical bar. So, for example, any command, pipe, sort, pipe, PR, takes the output of any command, sorts it, and prints the result in paginated form. The ability to interconnect programs in this way has, substan has substantially changed our way of thinking about and writing utility programs in general, and especially those involved with text processing. As a dramatic example, we had three existing programs that would respectively translate characters, sort a file while casting out duplicate lines, and compare two sorted files, publishing lines in the first file, but not the second. Combining these with our online dictionary gave a pipeline that would print all the words in a document not appearing in the dictionary. In other words, potential spelling mistakes. A simple program to generate plausible derivatives of dictionary words completed the job. The shell syntax for pipelines forces them to be linear, although the operating system permits processes to be connected by pipes in a general graph. There are several reasons for this restriction. The most important is the lack of a notation as perspicuous as that of the simple linear pipeline. Also, processes connected in a general graph can be deadlocked as the result of the finite amount of buffering in each pipe. Finally, although an acceptable, if complicated, notation has been proposed that creates only deadlock-free graphs, the need has never been felt keenly enough to impel anyone to implement it. Other aspects of Unix, not closely tied to any particular program, are also valuable in providing a pleasant user interface. One thing that seems trivial yet makes a surprising difference once one is used to it is full duplex terminal I.O. together with read ahead. Even though programs generally communicate with the user in terms of lines rather than single characters, full duplex terminal I.O. means that the user can type at any time, even if the system is typing back without fear of losing or garbling characters. With read ahead, one need not wait for a response to every line. A good typist entering a document becomes incredibly frustrated at having to pause before starting each new line. For anyone who knows what he wants to say, any slowness in response becomes psychologically magnified if the information must be entered bit by bit instead of at full speed. Both input and output of Unix programs tend to be very terse. This can be disconcerting, especially to the beginner. The editor, for example, has essentially only one diagnostic, namely question mark, which means you have done something wrong. Once one knows the editor, the error or difficulty is usually obvious and the terseness is appreciated after a period of acclimation. But certainly people can be confused at first. However, even if some fuller diagnostics might be appreciated on occasion, 
there is much noise that we are happy to be rid of. The command interpreter does not remark loudly that each program finished normally or announce how much space or time it took. The former fact is whispered by an unobtrusive prompt and anyone who wishes to know the latter may ask explicitly. Likewise, commands seldom prompt for missing arguments. Instead, if the argument is not optional, they give at most a one-line summary of their usage and terminate. We know of some systems that seem so proud of their ability to interact that they force interaction on the user, whether it is wanted or not. Prompting for missing arguments is an issue of taste that can be discussed in calm tones. Insistence on asking questions may cause raised voices. Although the terseness of typical Unix programs is to some extent a matter of taste, it is also connected with the way programs tend to be combined. A simple example should make the situation clear. The command who writes out one line for each user logged into the system, giving a name, a terminal name, and the time of login. The command wc for word count writes out the number of lines, the number of words, and the number of characters in its input. Thus, who, pipe, wc, tells in the line count field how many users are logged in. If who produced extraneous verbiage, the count would be off. Worse, if wc insisted on determining from its input whether lines words or characters were wanted, it could not be used in this pipeline. Certainly, not every command that generates a table should omit headings. Nevertheless, we have good reasons to interpret the phrase extraneous verbiage rather liberally. <laughs>